Be Christ's Church. Impact the valley. Reach the world. All for the glory of King Jesus. Welcome to the North Roanoke Podcast. Today our lead pastor, Daniel Palmer, will be opening God's Word for us. Our prayer is that you will encounter the living Lord as you hear His Word proclaimed. As our praise team, instrumentalists, uh, have the opportunity to find their seat, I want to ask you to find your way to Luke chapter 24. Luke chapter 24 will break in at verse 44. So if you've got a copy of God's Word, and I, and I hope you do, make your way there. The last chapter of Luke's Gospel, chapter 24, beginning in verse 44. Uh, would you pray with me? God, we thank you that your mercies are new every morning. We praise you that your grace, though it cost Jesus his life, you offer it to us freely. God, if we will repent and believe, if we'll acknowledge our sin and come humbly to you, we find life and grace and peace and hope and joy. God, in a world that that seems so dark and so confusing, we can have light and we can have certainty. And so we give you praise for the gospel. We give you praise for Christ, for His sacrifice, for His resurrection, for the life that He gives. And we pray, God, that you would renew those who need to be renewed this morning. God, that you would encourage those who need to be encouraged. And God, that if there's anyone here who who hasn't yet encountered the love of God in Christ, who hasn't yet been rescued by the blood of Jesus, that today you would save. Those listening online, those in this sanctuary, God, that you would work. Uh, For the glory of Christ, we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. So last week, last week we were reminded that God's Word has to be the central nervous system of a church that honors Jesus. It has to inform who we are and what we hope for and what we do. And we learned that the Spirit of God works in the hearing of His Word to make Christians and indeed entire congregations look and live more like Jesus. I like to call this the inward progress of the gospel. So the Spirit of God takes the Word of God to keep refining us both individually and corporately, giving us the ability and desire to see as God sees, to to make course corrections in our life in the power of the Holy Spirit. This Theologians call this the work of sanctification, that we become more in practice in our daily lives, we become more in practice what God has already declared that we are through faith in Jesus in truth. The moment you trust in God, Trust in the bloody sacrifice of Jesus for you. He, he sees you as justified, just as though you've never sinned. But then you wake up the next day and you find that you're fighting temptation. And sometimes you succumb to that temptation. You find that sometimes you're giving in when you didn't want to give in. And through access to the Word of God and the hearing of the Word of God, God keeps rooting out of us that which is not like Christ in order to make us look more and more like Jesus. This is the inward progress of the gospel. It's foundational. It's fundamental to individual Christians and to entire churches. 
He wants our church to progressively look more and more like Jesus. But, but God doesn't use His Word just to do His inward work in the lives of individual believers in churches. He also uses His Word to compel us to take the message of salvation through Jesus to others who do not yet have it. We call this the outward progress of the gospel. And what's interesting is that both should happen simultaneously and they actually reinforce one another. That as the gospel progresses within us, we are compelled to then to go out to a world who's not yet heard. And as we go out to a world that is not yet heard, God shows us things in our life so that he can take the gospel ever more deeply into our heart and make us look more like Jesus. They reinforce one another. So the church that honors Jesus will pursue both the inward progress of the gospel and the outward progress of the gospel, and they will do so simultaneously. And we're going to see that the Word of God and the mission of God are linked today at the end of Luke's Gospel, chapter 24. And I want to ask if you would stand with me this morning for the reading of God's Word, beginning in verse 44. These are the words of the resurrected Jesus to His disciples. Now He said to them, These are my words which I spoke to you while I was still with you, that all things which are written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then He opened their minds to understand the Scriptures. And He said to them, Thus it is written that the Christ would suffer and rise again from the dead the third day, and that repentance for forgiveness of sins would be proclaimed in His name to all the nations, beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. And behold, I am sending forth the promise of my Father upon you, but you are to stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. You may be seated. We've just read the words of our risen King to His first disciples. Disciples who had just days before seen Him crucified. They are astounded. They are marveling. They are overjoyed. How could it be? Had Jesus conquered death itself? Was it true? We see just before the verses that we read that they're asking themselves, is, is Jesus just a spirit? Or the, is He a mist? Are they just seeing something? And so Jesus eats a piece of broiled fish to confirm that He actually has a physical body. And I praise God that we're going to get to eat in heaven. I love to eat. I really do. And we get to eat with Jesus in heaven. God didn't give us physical bodies just to pass through this life and to never enjoy a physical existence again, just to go to heaven and be a mist or a cloud or floating around on angels' wings for the rest of our existence. No, He's coming back to raise us up to a forever physical existence in the new heavens and the new earth where we get to eat lamb with the King of Kings and maybe some other good stuff. So, Jesus confirms that He's resurrected. And then... He opens their eyes to see that they could have seen, should have seen, that He was this King all along. And the passage is clear. He moves from showing that He's the subject of the Scriptures to the fact that we are called to be His witnesses to the ends of the earth. So the passage is clear that those who encounter Jesus and see who He is then join His team of witnesses to all the nations. And this happens first... When our minds are opened, we see this in verse 44 and 45, when our minds are opened 
to understand that God's Word is God's revelation about His Son. So often we come to the Bible and we think it's first about us, but it's actually first about Jesus and only secondarily about us. In verse 44, Jesus says He had spoken previously that all the things that were written about Him in the Old Testament would be fulfilled through His death and resurrection. He did this twice in Luke 9. He did it again in Luke 18. And the disciples were like, what are you talking about? You're going to die and be raised? A suffering king? That doesn't make sense to us. We're not looking for a king who's going to suffer. In Luke chapter 9, verse 44, Jesus says these, he says this, let these words sink into your ears. Pay attention. You ever talk to parents? You ever talk to your kids like that? I mean, maybe you don't say let these words sink into your ears, but are you with me? Are you listening? Are you paying attention? What I'm about ready to say is important. Jesus says, let these words sink into your ears, for the Son of Man is going to be delivered, meaning delivered over to death, into the hands of men. And then we read in verse 45, but they did not understand this statement, and it was concealed from them so that they would not perceive it, and they were afraid to ask him about this statement. You see, the disciples didn't understand first because their spiritual eyes were closed to their need for a Savior who would die, but furthermore, they were afraid to ask for the meaning. Why, why were they afraid to ask why it was that Jesus had to die and be raised? I suspect the reason those first disciples were afraid to ask is the reason that many today are afraid to ask about why it is that Jesus had to suffer and die and be raised. There's lots of places you can hear about Jesus' good works, His good teachings, all these miracles that He did, but people want to stand away from the need for His death and resurrection. Why is it that people fear asking about the death and resurrection of Jesus? I, I think we know the answer, right? Because the reality that Jesus had to die means that we deserve death. It means that our sin was that wicked, that heinous, that that bad. You see, the reality of a suffering Savior is shocking, and it means that our greatest enemy is not big corporations, it's not big government, it's not corrupt government, it's not a bad upbringing, it's not social injustice, it's not a lousy boss or a disengaged spouse. It means that my greatest enemy is me. And it means salvation can't come from what I can do to better myself. It can only come by substitution, by Jesus Christ taking my place. And for many, that truth is offensive. It's why Peter says that Jesus is a rock of offense. The the gospel, church, we can never lose sight of the fact that the gospel has to confront us before it can heal us. It has to diagnose our condition before it can deliver us into salvation. The reality of the gospel is we were so lost, so dead, so deserving of death that Jesus, the the King of glory, had to come down and assume uh, our humanity and die in order for us to to be rescued. And if we compromise that part of the gospel, we lose the entirety of the gospel. There's this trend in church life today and in ministries today to to go to the Bible and and crop out one little verse that makes me feel good about myself before dealing with my sin. And if we use the Bible to bypass our need for Jesus, we've actually misread the Bible in an eternally incorrect way. Carl F.H. Henry said said it this way, if we only use the Bible as a mirror 
to see ourselves, we may wind up seeing more of our own self-interests than a revelation of God's interests. And God is interested in your joy, in your peace, in your happiness, but it only comes in seeing who Jesus truly is. And, and praise God, when we see who Jesus is, when we encounter Him in truth, we recognize who we really are and how desperate we are to know Him. And it is in that moment that the door to hope and salvation and healing and purpose is thrown wide open. And we are in that moment given a mission so great, so wonderful, so amazing, and so much bigger than us that it changes everything. It changes how we process major world events and natural disasters and political upheaval. We know, church, that we have a message and a mission that is above all the craziness that's happening in our country and in our culture because Jesus is still risen as King of kings and Lord of lords who came on a rescue mission and nothing that happens yesterday, today, or tomorrow is going to change that fact. Jesus is, do you see it in verse 44, the fulfillment of the things which are written. This, this word in the, in the Greek is in, in the passive voice, and it is in the perfect tense, which means it is the things which God wrote through men, and which have been once for all written. We don't need a new word from God. We don't need a new revelation from God. There's, there's this trend in Christian music to say, show me a vision, show me a revelation, as if what God has shown us about Christ is not good enough. We don't need a new revelation. We don't need new words. We need to plow back into the once for all authoritative finished good for all time word of God because it is God's unchanging word that rightly reveals to us the unchanging Christ. He is the one that the Old Testament was written about in the law and the prophets and the writings which is in the day of Jesus, the way the Hebrew people referred to the Old Testament. It's the threefold division of the Old Testament. The law, the prophets, and the writings, or the Psalms, which was the largest book in the group of writings. So we've got to understand that Jesus, His death and resurrection, who He is, King of kings and Lord of lords, Savior, it is all right there in the Old Testament. But to understand it, notice what happens in verse 45. Our minds must be opened to see it. They must be opened to understand it. This word opened is also used in Mark 7 of, of Jesus opening the ears of someone who was deaf. So it implies removing something that's in the way. So, so the sin and the junk in our hearts that helps us, or not helps us, hinders us and causes us to focus on ourselves. Jesus has to remove that to give us eyes to, to see that He is the subject of the Scriptures. To give us eyes to understand the Scriptures. That word understand in verse 45 means to put it all together. I think of my son. My son loves Legos. Anybody here love Legos? Man, I was never a Lego guy. But my wife, I've come to find out now that we've got a little boy who loves Legos, she is like the Lego master in our house. And, and, and Samuel is like Lego junior master on his way to surpassing his mom. He's, I don't know what he's going to be. He may be an inventor or something, an engineer. He's, he's probably going to be a hokey. Praise God for that. He, he puts stuff together all the time. If he ever takes his GRE, he's going to knock it out of the park on the spatial relationship. And here's what Jesus is saying. 
It takes a divine work of God for us to really make sense of the Scriptures and encounter Christ in His Word. And when we come to Christ in faith, when we come to Christ in dependence, we see that Jesus is our hope. He is our all in all. He is the one that God sent on a rescue mission and it required His death and His resurrection. When we come to understand and to see the resurrected Christ in faith, He opens our minds to understand the Scriptures. And that's great. It's great to see Jesus and encounter Jesus. But we must not bypass the central point of how it is that Jesus saves, what He came to do. And we see in verses 46, in verse 46, that we've got to understand not only that Jesus is the subject of the Scriptures, that He fulfills God's divine plan from eternity past, but we must understand that Jesus' death and resurrection are at the very heart of God's plan. This idea, this concept of a suffering king, that God's Christ, His Messiah, that His anointed king would suffer and die and rise on the third day, is not just a part of a long list of things that we could say about Jesus, it's at the very foundation of what we must know and believe and affirm about Him. Does that make, does that make sense? There's a lot of things we could say about Jesus, right? He was, he was a miracle worker. He had great teachings. He challenged the status quo. There's all these wonderful things we see in the Gospels about Jesus, but if we miss His death and resurrection on the third day, we've missed everything. If you don't come to the Jesus who had to die for your sin and be raised for you to have a whole new way of life, then you'll never be able to live out His teachings. You'll never be able to pursue His agenda. If you come to a Jesus who did not have to die and be raised for you, you've missed Jesus entirely. Jesus doesn't mention His birth, His ministry, His miracles, or even His teaching and His relationships. And it's not that those things aren't important. Those things are hugely important. But there's no power to pursue the life that Jesus has for you unless you are in Christ by faith. Unless His death becomes your death and His life becomes your life by faith. So a mission-minded church, a church that is truly about Christ and His mission will hear these words of the resurrected Jesus to His disciples and they will understand that Jesus is our hope, not because He was just a good guy, not because He had some cool teachings, but because He died and conquered death on the third day just as God promised. Now you might say, well I read the Old Testament, I'm like, well where did God promise that? I mean, where exactly do you see that? It's, it's all over the Old Testament, but it's in types and shadows. You, you won't find a verse that says precisely, the Messiah is going to suffer and die and be raised on the third day in the Old Testament. You won't find it. And yet, this message is throughout the Old Testament when, when God gives you eyes to see. Do you remember the people of Israel when they're overtaking the promised land and they're commanded to go into Jericho and they send spies into Jericho and they encounter Rahab? You remember this story? And, and they go and, and Rahab's like, uh, you're going to be in trouble so I'm going to hide you upstairs and then after I hide you upstairs successfully, I'm going to send you out into the hinterlands and I want you to go there. You remember how long they're supposed to wander around? Three days. Wander around for three days, and then after three days, after you've hidden for three days, you'll know that it's safe for you to return. The third day throughout the Old Testament is the day of the salvation of God's people. Genesis chapter 22, you remember Abraham and Isaac? 
Ishmael has been sent off the scene and Isaac is called Abraham's only son, the son through whom the promises of God must come. And God tests Abraham's faith and he says, I want you to take your son, your only son Isaac, and I want you to go to a mountain and I want you to sacrifice Isaac. And Isaac's like, where is the lamb for the sacrifice? And Abraham says, oh, we're going to come back and worship together. Don't worry about it. God's going to provide a lamb. And they walk for three days to Mount Moriah. And the scriptures tell us that Abraham lifts his eyes to Mount Moriah. That he sees the mountain. And the the lifting of the eyes in the Old Testament is always positive. It's always filled with hope. When Isaac lifts his eyes and sees Rebekah, his wife. And you're like, why is Abraham lifting his eyes in hope? It doesn't make any sense. It does make sense if you understand that Abraham believed that the son of promise would have to die and be raised on the third day. For three days to Abraham, Isaac was as good as dead, but on the third day he lifted his eyes, believing that somehow, some way, God would make a way for salvation to come through the promised son of God. Now, Abraham was exactly right. His timeline was just wrong. It wasn't Isaac who would be the son of promise, who would die for the sins of men and be raised on the third day. It would be Jesus Christ himself. Jesus is the long-awaited son and king who as creator of all has the authority to make us new in himself. The one who made everything came and substituted himself so he could make us new, forgive our sins, and give us new hearts. Paul says it this way in Romans chapter 4 verse 5. He was delivered over to death because of our transgressions. He was raised because of our justification. God's plan from eternity past has been to rescue people. People who would live gratefully, praising Jesus Christ, His Son and King. Through faith in Jesus, church, minds are open to see that Jesus is the promised Messiah who suffered unto death and was raised for us. But how are, how are the people going to know about it? Jesus is raised from the dead. He stands before His disciples and He says... You now see that I am the subject of the Old Testament. You now see that God promised that I would suffer and die and be raised. And so salvation could come to the nations. But there remains a question. If Jesus is going to go to the right hand of the Father and rule and reign in righteousness, then how will the world know about this King? I'm so glad you asked. We become witnesses. Do you see it in verse... 48, we are the ones. It's not just that God prophesied that Jesus would come, that He would suffer and die, but he even God even prophesies in the Old Testament. He announces to us that the church would take the opportunity to repent and be forgiven to all the nations in the authority of Jesus and in the power of the Holy Spirit. And down in verse 48, Jesus says, to his first disciples, you are witnesses of these things. Do you, do you see the progression? When you encounter Jesus and you see that he is the fulfillment of all that God has promised, you then become a part of God's plan as a witness to this reality. Now you might be thinking this morning, but, but those disciples actually got to see Jesus physically raised. So, so that commission is for them and not for me. And if you assume that, you would be wrong. Have you ever heard people say that? I've heard that argument a few times. Well, that was for the disciples back then, but I don't have to be a witness today. Jesus came to save me, and now I can sit on my sofa for the rest of my life and not really care about telling anybody else. That's not why Jesus saves us. He saves us to send us. 
You say, well, prove it to me. Well, look at verse 47. He says that the proclamation of the gospel would begin in Jerusalem, not that it would stay in Jerusalem. This is not a commission that goes only to the disciples who go back to Jerusalem. It's a commission that extends through the church until Jesus returns. We know this because in Acts 8, when persecution comes to the church, the apostles stay in Jerusalem, but it is the church that scatters and takes the gospel with them, planting churches along the way. Which means that if you know Jesus, if you belong to Jesus, if you've encountered the risen Christ in the Word of God, if you've confessed your sin and believed on Him, then Jesus has, to, has made you a witness with an official message from the King of Kings. Aren't you glad that you've got better news than any of the so-called news agencies in our country today? You, you've, got, you've got all the facts right. There's nothing errant about the gospel message that you've been commissioned to carry. There's nothing wrong with the leader that you've been called to represent. If you belong to Jesus, you have the greatest, truest, most accurate story to proclaim, and God will fulfill everything that you proclaim in Jesus' name if you're proclaiming the gospel. Praise God. The charge to be witnesses to the death and resurrection of Jesus is is not your pastor's idea. I didn't make this up. Pastor Hobe didn't make this up so he could have a job as a missions and community pastor. Missions is all over God's agenda in the Scriptures. And Jesus tells us the agenda for the church to be witnesses is even in the Old Testament. God wants us to be witnesses. His agenda is for us to be witnesses. Now you might say, where in the world is the church in the Old Testament? I don't see that. It's all over the place. Every time you see the rehearsal of the, of the promise that will come to all the nations through the Son of God, how is that going to happen? It's going to happen through the witness of the church. How is it that Abraham's son and seed will bring, bring blessing to people from every tribe and tongue and language and nation? It will happen through the work of the church. When our minds are open to see our need for Jesus, God opens our minds then to see ourselves as His witnesses. There are no exceptions. The amazing gift of salvation in Christ brings with it the incredible burden for others to know Jesus as well. You remember the Apostle Paul? He was a persecutor of the church. And then Jesus encounters him on the road to Damascus. And in Romans chapter 1, verse 12, after he's surrendered his life to Christ, and he's become what I would argue the, the greatest Christian missionary in the history of the world, Paul says this, He is a debtor both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to wise and to the foolish. Can you imagine? Paul says he owes his life to lost people. Doesn't matter whether they're cultured, civilized, or uncivilized. It doesn't mean if they're top of the class or bottom of the class or somewhere in between. Whether they're red, yellow, black, white, male, female, it does not matter. Anybody who has not heard and received the gospel, Paul says, I owe them my life. Live for the glory of Christ and in proclamation of the gospel. Let, let me ask you, in, in our current day, as you scroll your Facebook feed or your Twitter account, or maybe you've moved to MeWe or Parlor or wherever you are today, and you see people and they comment things that frustrate you, is your first response to, 
to act out and to, to comment and let them know they're wrong about culture and politics and current events? Or is it to point them to Jesus Christ the King? The people that most drive you crazy, that you would even say, that's my enemy. Jesus says, love them like they are your neighbor. Because what you really owe them is not your opinion on politics. And you're probably right. Maybe. But what you owe them most, supremely, eternally, is your life live for the glory of Christ that you might proclaim to them the gospel because that's what's going to endure forever. And I want you to note from verse 47 three things about this gospel message that we're called to proclaim. First, the message goes out in the authority of Jesus. Do you see that? It's, it's a message we share in His name. We, we don't go for our name, we don't go for our fame, we go for the name of Jesus Christ, the King of kings and Lord of lords. In Matthew's version of the Great Commission, this is Luke's version of the Great Commission, but in Matthew's version of the Great Commission, Jesus says to His disciples, all authority has been given to Me in heaven and on earth. And then He says at the end, and I am with you always, in, even to the end of the age. So when you go and proclaim the gospel, guess who meets you there? Jesus Himself is there. Which means we don't have any need to manipulate someone's emotions so that they would trust in Jesus. We don't have any need to stretch out an invitation for three weeks. We don't need to keep singing just as I am and oh, let's sing it again and again and I hope somebody comes forward and trusts Jesus. We don't have to do that because we're not, we're not serving our name. We're not serving our church even. We're serving and magnifying the name of Jesus. We don't have any need to brag about how many people we saw saved on our mission trip or when I last preached a sermon. Woo, look at me and all the people that trusted Jesus. Aren't I great? It's not about us. It's about His name and it's in His authority and it's for His glory. So we don't need to worry about that stuff. Likewise, we don't need to hang our heads in shame when we go into the workplace and we share the gospel over and over and over again and we pray and we don't see results and we don't see anything happen and we're like, well, what's wrong with me? Nothing's wrong with you. It's up to God to open the eyes. It's open up to God to open the deaf ears. It's just up to you to be a faithful witness of the gospel and to do it in His name and for His fame and for His glory and leave the results to Him. It's in His authority. Secondly, we must proclaim the need for the repentance, for repentance, for the forgiveness of sins. The, the goal of the gospel message is repentance. It's not having a big event where people stand up at the end and say, I trust Jesus, and then you never see them in the church again. It's not everybody, every head bow and every eye closed and everybody raises their hand for a second, but they, they never trust God. They never leave the pattern of sin in their life and they go on thinking that they're a Christian, but all they did was raise their hand and then keep living the same way. The goal of the gospel is repentance, not turning over a new leaf, not signing a card, not walking an aisle, not praying a magic prayer, repenting, a total change of the direction of our life. Church, we can't come to Jesus and hang on to everything that Jesus had to die to save us from. There's no forgiveness without repentance. Repentance is far more than admitting that we have said and done and thought things that displease God. It is a desire to flee those things. 
It is a complete transformation from the inside out. A transfer of our allegiances and our passions and our perspectives. We were living for ourselves. We were worshiping ourselves. And we say, I don't want to do that anymore. I want to live and worship the King who died for me. Those who repent understand they could never overcome their sin on their own. And they willingly come to Jesus to be rescued, to receive forgiveness. You see that in verse 47. Pardon, release from sin. Freed from the power of sin to live for the glory of Christ our King. And then to participate in His mission until He comes. The third thing I want you to see about the message is that the message goes out to all nations. The message goes out to all nations. It's in His name. It's a message of repentance and it must go out to all the nations. God's de- design from that revealed to us even in the Old Testament includes the progress of the gospel to all the nations. It's why people like Rahab are included with the Israelites. It's why people like Ruth are included with the Israelites. It's why God keeps telling us all the nations are going to be blessed through God's Son. And this progress of the Gospel to all the nations is happening right now. It's happening through faithful churches that are sharing the Gospel in their community. It's, it's happening through faithful churches that are sending missionaries to live and serve among people with little to no access to the Gospel. It's why we pray for missionaries every Sunday as we receive the offering. In the Roanoke Valley alone, there are 105 known nationalities, many of whom have never heard the gospel before coming to our shore. 105 people groups right here in the Roanoke Valley, many of whom never heard the name of Jesus or the gospel of Jesus Christ before they got here. They're at Kroger, they're at Walmart, they're at the gas station, and they need to hear that Jesus saves. And we are the ambassadors for Christ to tell them, hey, come join us at North Roanoke Baptist Church. Hey, you don't know English? Well, once COVID is over, but praise God, we're going to be firing back up our English as a second language ministry. Why? Because we want to have the opportunity to get the gospel into the hearts and minds of people who've never heard that Jesus saves. Jesus saves. But it's not just here in the Roanoke Valley, it's around the world. Worldwide, there are nearly 3 billion people from 7,000 people groups with little to no access to the gospel. You say, what's a people group? It's a group of people. That was, that was novel, wasn't it? It's a group of people. People groups, a group of people. There you go. Um, it's, it's a group of people with a defined culture and language. So, if you think of a, a, a group of people and a message could go through that culture without barriers, there's 7,000 such groups of people who have a distinct language and culture that if you wanted to tell a story, whatever the story is, and have it be received and understood, there's 7,000 such groups that have never received and understood the gospel in their heart, language, and in their culture. To this day, 3 billion people worldwide with little to no access to the gospel. There are places in our world today where you could still walk for a week and not encounter a Bible, a Christian, or a church. Let me ask you, how... Will they know unless someone goes and learns the language and the culture and preaches the gospel? 
How will they know the amazing news that the guilt and shame they feel can be removed by Christ? How will they know that the death that they fear can be conquered? How will they know that the pain and the heartache that they experience because their lives are not aligned with God's good design for life and marriage and family, how will they know that that can be removed in Christ? How will they know that there's a king that they've sinned against, but he is a good and kind and loving king, and he came down on a rescue mission to be nailed to a cross and be raised on the third day so that they could be raised up with him and a part of his mission in the world? It's going to happen through churches like North Roanoke. It's going to be happen, happening through faithful churches who speak the gospel wherever they go in their community, baptizing those who repent and believe, teaching them all Christ has commanded them. And it will happen through churches who dare to pray that God would raise up in our lifetime, in our generation, people who would lay down their lives and their careers and the comforts of home to go to a place that they've not known, to a people they don't yet know, and share the gospel with them where they are. You say, that, that sounds crazy ambitious and it is but look at verse 49 it's it's not up to our scheming and our strategizing ultimately it's up to the power of god we don't go in our own strength and our own power we go in the promise of the father that that is sent by the son and we know because of what acts 1 8 shows us later that this promise from the father that is sent by the son is the holy spirit of god himself we don't go on, on the energy of energizer bunny, bunny batteries we don't go on rechargeable batteries we go in the power of the holy spirit who never sleeps never slumbers is always with his people leading them out in god's mission that starts in the capital city of jerusalem and goes to the ends of the world until christ comes down bringing the new jerusalem making a new heavens and a new earth for all of his people to dwell with him for all eternity when we trust in jesus we receive the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit was sent by the Father and the Son to convict us of sin and righteousness of judgment. And when we repent, to miraculously change our insides so that the life and death and resurrection of Jesus is applied to us and we are counted as those who are in Christ. And when He does that, He makes us His witnesses to the ends of the earth, bringing to mind the Scriptures, mobilizing us in the power of God to share the Gospel. So I want to share with you, church, if you want to know the power of God in your life, you need to be a part of His mission. If you want to know the power of God in your life, you need to be a part of God's mission. I've encountered so many Christians as a, as a pastor and even in seminary and as an associate pastor. Man, I just, I just feel like I'm missing out on the power of God in my life. I'm, I'm missing out on the presence of God in my life. What can I do, pastor? And, and here's, here's always my answer. Are you on mission? What are you doing in God's mission? Who are you praying for right now that, that God would change their heart? Who are you begging God to give you an opportunity to share the gospel with? Because the Spirit of God was given not just to change your heart, but to mobilize you in God's mission. And when we become self-absorbed and self-consumed as Christians and we think the Spirit of God was given just for me and to feel good and my comfort and we neglect the mission of God, we miss out on the power of God. So at North Roanoke, we are praying 
fervently that God would raise up five missionary units to be on the ground or in training by 2030. We've got two already. We're praying for three more. Maybe, maybe God would call some of you here listening online or in this sanctuary to be someone who, who takes your skills as a nurse or your ability to teach English as a second language or your skills as an engineer. All of these jobs are needed all around the world. Maybe, maybe God would mobilize one or some of you to be called and sent out to learn a culture and a language and to plant your life among a people who otherwise would never hear that Jesus saves. We're praying that God will do that through North Roanoke. Maybe... Maybe you're a college student. You say, I- I'm interested in that, but I have no idea if that's what God would call me to. Did you know there's a program through the International Mission Board called the Journeyman Program? You can spend two years of your life after college on the mission field. They'll compensate you. They'll pay you. They'll take care of your insurance. They'll take care of your meals. They'll put you on the ground with an existing mission team where you can see what it's like to learn a culture and a language and to see if that's what God might be calling you to. What if God would raise up a generation? We've got a lot of young pros who've been coming to North Roanoke. What if, what if God would sweep through our young pros and three, five, or ten of you would embark on that journeyman program and see what God might do with your life? You say, I, that, all that sounds ambitious. I'm just a mom with a three-year-old. What, what can I do? Be a missionary to your three-year-old. Pour your life into that three-year-old little child. Give them the Bible morning, noon, and night. Pray with them gospel-centered prayers. Let them know that Jesus is King Make them, help them become aware of their sins so that they will trust and surrender their life to Jesus as soon as they are prepared and ready. Because in that moment, they'll join you. They'll become a witness as well. Wherever you are, in the workplace, as a retiree, as a mom, a dad, a grandmother, don't miss out on the power of God. Get involved in the mission of God. Finally, I'll say this. Jesus likes to put together teams. That's why he invented the local church. He doesn't save us to be lone rangers. He saves us to be a team. And he's addressing his disciples as a team. You all together are going to be witnesses. And so often we think of of our mission as, well, I'm going to gather on Sunday morning and then I'm going to go out into my workplace and my family and I'm never going to talk about who I'm trying to share the gospel with. I'm never going to have somebody praying with me for this person that I know who is lost. But God didn't design it to be that way. He designed us to be a team together in the mission so that this lady and this gentleman could pray together about this person that this lady's sharing the gospel with and this gentleman that this gentleman's sharing the gospel with that we might even collaborate together and maybe I'll take lunch to your workplace one day so that we would have a platform to talk about our church family and invite them to church and we're going to get creative together trusting the Holy Spirit to mobilize us as a team to see God's mission advance to the ends of the earth. At North Roanoke Baptist Church, I understand we're in a crazy season of COVID. But no matter what the obstacles are, we're going to do our dead level best to be a word-centered church that honors Christ as King and maintains our mission-minded focus until He comes. Because North Roanoke, now is the time for the benefits of Jesus' death and resurrection to be proclaimed to all the nations just 
as God planned it. Would you pray with me? God in heaven, we give you praise for your presence with us today. We give you praise for the promise of the Holy Spirit. It's a promise you've already fulfilled. The Spirit of God is is here today. The Spirit of God goes with the church when they are mobilized in mission. And Lord, we pray, God, that you would make us a people who is all about the fame and the glory of Jesus, that is not embarrassed to share the gospel, but God, that we believe that is the power of God and the salvation. And Lord, that you would give us eyes to see Christ and eyes to see the opportunities that you are putting before us to proclaim that Jesus saves, Jesus saves. Lord, we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the North Roanoke podcast. You can connect with us at northroanoke.org or download our app in your device's app store. Just search for North Roanoke. We hope to meet you soon.